0: Then something changed. The crowd grew thinner. But I saw standing before us a small woman. Her back to us. Looking across the four lanes of moving taxis to the waving man. I couldn't see her face. But I estimated six to seven years old from her shape and posture, posture, I named her in my mind the coffee cup lady because from the back and in her thick wool coat she seemed small and wide and round shoulders like the ceramic coffee cups resting upside down on the red shelves. Although the man kept waving and cutting, and she'd clearly seen him, she didn't wave or call back. She kept completely still, even when a pair of runners came towards her, parted on either side, then joined up again, their sports shoes, making small slashes down the sidewalk. then. At last she moved, she went towards the crossing as the man had been signalling for her to do, taking slow steps at first, then hurrying. She had to stop again, to wait like everyone else at the lights, and the man stopped waving but he was watching her so anxiously. I again thought he might step out in front of the taxis, but he calmed himself and walked towards his end of the crossing to wait for her. And as the taxis stopped and the coffee cup lady began to cross with the rest I saw the man raise a fist to one of his eyes. On the way, I had seen some children do in the store when they got upset. Then a coffee cup lady reached the RPO building side, and she and the man were holding each other so tightly, they were like one large person. And the son, noticing... Was pouring his nourishment on them. I still couldn't see the coffee cup his face, but the man had his eyes tightly shut, and I wasn't sure if he was very happy or very upset. Those people seem so pleased to see each other, the manager said and I realized she'd been watching them as closely as I had. Yes, they seem so happy, I said, but it's strange because they also seem upset. Oh, Clara, manager said quietly, you never miss a thing, do you? Then manager was silent for a long time, holding her sign in her hand, and staring across the street even after the pair had gone out of sight. Finally, she said, perhaps they hadn't met for a long time, a long, long time. Perhaps when they last held each other like that, they were still young. Do you mean, manager, they lost each other? She was quiet for another moment. Yes, she said eventually. That must be it. They lost each other. And perhaps just now, just by chance, they found each other again. Manager's voice wasn't like her usual one, and though her eyes were on the outside, I thought she was now looking at nothing in particular. I even started to wonder what boss was by the thing to see manager herself in the window with us for so long. Then she turned from the window and came past us. And as she did, so she touched my shoulder. Sometimes, she said, At special moments like that, people feel a pain alongside their happiness. I'm glad you watch everything so carefully, Clara. The manager was gone, and Rosa said, How strange. What could she have meant? Never mind, Rosa, I said to her. She was just talking about the outside. Rosa began to discuss something else then, but I went on thinking about the coffee cup lady and her raincoat man and about what manager had said. And I tried to imagine how it would feel if Rosa and I, a long time from now, long after we'd found our different homes, Saw each other again by chance on a street. Would I then feel as much I had put a pain alongside my happiness? One morning, at the start of our second week in the window, I was talking to Rosa about something on the RPO building side, then broke off when I realized Josie was standing on the sidewalk in front of us. Her mother was beside her. There was no taxi behind them this time, though it was possible they'd got out of one and it had driven off, all without my noticing, because there had been a crowd of tourists between our window, and the spot where they were standing. But now the passers by were moving smoothly again, and Dorza was beaming happily at me. Her face, I thought this again, seemed to overflow with kindness when she smiled. But she couldn't yet come to the window because the mother was leaning down talking to her. A hand on her shoulder, the mother was wearing a coat, a thin, dark, high-ranking one, which moved with a wind around her body, so that for a moment she reminded me of the dog birds that was on the high traffic signals, even as the winds blew fiercely. Both Josie and the mother went on looking straight at at me while they talked, and I could see Josie was impatient to come to me, but still the mother wouldn't release her and went on talking. I knew I should keep looking at the RPO building in just the way Rosa was doing, but I couldn't help staring glances at them. I was so concerned they'd vanish into the crowd. At last, the mother straightened, and though she went on staring at me, altering the tilt of her head, whatever a passerby blocked her view, she took her hand away, and Josie came forward with her careful walk. I thought it encouraging the mother should allow I thought, it encouraging the mother, she loved Josie to come by herself, yes, the mother's gaze, which never softened and wavered, and the very way she was standing there, arms crossed over her front, fingers clutching at the materials of her, material of her, of her coat, made me realize there were many signals I hadn't yet learned to understand. Then Josie was there before me on the other side of the glass. Hey, how you been? I smiled, nodded, and held up a raised thumb. just uh I'd often observed inside the interesting magazines. Sorry, I couldn't come back sooner, she said. I guess it's been how long. I held up three fingers. Then added a half finger from their hand. Too long, she said. I'm sorry. Miss me? I nodded, putting on a sad face, though I was careful to show I wasn't serious and that I hadn't been upset. I miss you, too. I really thought I'd get back before this. You probably thought I'd cleared right out. Really sorry. Then her smile w- weakened as she said, I suppose a lot of other kids have been here to see you. I shook my head, but Josie looked unconvinced. She glanced back to the mother, not for reassurance, but rather to check she hadn't come any closer. Then, lowering her voice, Josie said, Mom looks weird, I know, watching like that. It's because I told her, you're the one I wanted. I said it had to be you, so now she's sizing you up. Sorry, I thought I saw the dawn the time before, a flash of sadness. You'll come, right? If mom says it's okay and everything. I know it encouragingly. But the uncertainty remained on her face. Because I don't want you it's coming against your will that wouldn't be fair I really want you to come but if you said Josie I don't want to then I'd say to mom okay we can have her away but you don't want to come right again I nodded this time Josie appeared to be reassured that's so good the smile returned to her face you love it, I'll make sure you do. She looked back, this time in triumph, calling Mom, see, she says she wants to come. The mother gave a small nod. But otherwise didn't respond. She was still staring at me, her fingers pinching at the coat material. When Josie turned back to me, her face had clouded again. Listen, she said, for the next few seconds, she remained silent. Then she said, it, It's so great you want to come, but what things straight between us from the start? So I'm going to say this. Don't worry. Don't worry. Mom can't hear. Look, I think you like your ha- our house. I think you like my room, and that's where you'll be, not in some cupboard or anything. And we'll do all these great things together all the time. I'm growing up. Only thing is, sometimes, well, she glanced back quickly again, then lowering her voice further, said, Maybe it's because some days I'm not so well. I don't know. But there might be something going on. I'm not sure what it is. I don't even know if it's something bad. But things sometimes get, well, unusual. Don't get me wrong. Most times you wouldn't feel it. But I wanted to be straight with you. Because you know how loose it feels. People telling you how perfect things will be. And they're not being straight. That's why I'm telling you now. Please, see, you still want to come. You love my room. I know you will, and you'll see where the sun goes down, like I told you the last time. You still want to come, right? I to her through the glass, as seriously as I knew how. I wanted also to tell her that if there was anything difficult, anything frightening to be facing her house, we would do so together but I didn't know how to convey such a complex message through the glass without words. And so I clasped my hands together and held them up, shaking them slightly. In that gesture, I'd seen a taxi driver give from inside his moving taxi to someone who'd waved from the sidewalk, even though he'd had to take both hands off his steering wheel. Whatever Josie understood from me just seemed to make her happy. Thank you, she said. Don't get me wrong. It may not be anything bad. It may only be me thinking things. Just then the mother called and started to move towards us. But there were tourists in her way. And Josie had time to say quickly, I'll be back really soon, promise. Tomorrow if I can. but just for now. We began after that, our second period meets store. Rosa and I were still often together, but manager would not change our positions around and I might spend a day standing beside boy AF Rex or girl AF Kiku. Most days, though, I'd still be able to see a section of the window and so go on learning about the outside. When the cuttings machine appeared, for instance, I was on the magazine's table side, just in front of the middle alcove, and had almost as good a view as if I'd still been in the window. It had been obvious for days that the cuttings machine was going to be something out of the ordinary. First, the overhaul man arrived to prepared for it, marking out a special section of the street with wooden barriers the taxi drivers didn't like this at all and made a lot of noise with their horns then the overhaul man began to to drill and break up the ground even parts of the sidewalk which frightened the two f's in the window Once, when the noise became really awful, Rosa put her hands to her ears and kept them there. Even though there were customers in the store, manager apologized to every customer who came in, even though the noise had nothing to do with us. Once, a customer began talking about pollution and pointing to the overhaul man outside, said how dangerous pollution was for everyone. So, when the cuttings machine first arrived, I thought it might be a machine to fight pollution, but boy, AF Rack, said, no, it was something specially designed to make more of it. I told him I didn't believe him, and he said, all right, Clara, you just wait and see. It turned out, of course, that he was right. The cuttings machine, I named it that in my mind, because it had cuttings in big leathers across its side. Began with a high-pitched whine, not nearly as bad as the drills had been, and no worse than matches vacuum cleaner, but there were three short funnels protruding from its roof, and smoke began to come up out of them. At first the smoke came in little white puffs, then grew darker till it no longer rose as several clouds, but as one thick, continuous one. When I next looked... The street outside had become uh, partitioned into several vertical panels. From my position I could see three of them quite clearly without leaning forward. The amount of dark smoke appeared to vary from panel to panel, so that it was almost as if contrasting shades of grey were being displayed for selection. But even where the smoke was, at its most tense, I could still pick out many details. Two days after the cuttings machine went away, the girl with the short spiky hair came into the store. I estimated twelve and a half years old. She was dressed that morning like a runner in a bright green tank top, and her two thin arms were showing all the way up. To the shoulders. She came in with her father, who was in a casual office suit, quite high ranking. Another said much at first as they browsed. I could tell immediately the girl was interested in me, even though she only glanced my way quickly before returning from the store. After a minute, though, she came back and pretended to be absorbed by the bracelets in the glass display trolley just in front of where I was standing, then glancing around to check that neither her father nor manager was watching. She put her weight experimentally against the trolley, making it move forwards an inch or two on its clusters. As she did this, she looked at me with a small smile as if the moving of the trolley was a special secret between us. She pulled the trolley back to its original position, grinned uh, at me again and called out. Daddy, when the father didn't reply, he was absorbed by the two AFs sitting on the glass table at the back. The girl gave me a a last look, then went over to join him. They began a conversation in low whispers, continually glancing my way, so there could be no doubt they were discussing me. Manager, noticing Rose from her desk and came to stand near me, her hands clasped in front of her. Eventually, after a lot more whispering, the girl came back, striding past manager, so she was directly facing me. She touched each of my elbows in turn, then took my left hand within her right one and held me like that, her eyes looking into my face. Her expression was quite stern, but the hand holding mine squeezed gently, and I understood this was intended as another little secret between us, but I didn't smile at her. I kept my expression blank, throwing my gaze over the girl's spiky head to the rat shelves on the wall opposite, and in particular the row of ceramic coffee cups displayed upside down along to the third tier. The girl squeezed my hand twice more, the second time less gently, but I didn't lower my gaze to her or smile. The father, meanwhile, had come nearer, treading softly so as not to disturb what might be a special moment. Manager who had moved closer and was standing just behind the father. I noticed all this but kept my eyes fixed on the red shelves and the ceramic coffee cups and kept my hand inside hers slack so that had she let go mine would have flopped down on my side i became increasingly aware of manager's gaze on me then i heard her say clara is excellent she's one of our finest but the young lady might be interested to look at the new b3 models that just came in b3s the father sounded excited you have those already we enjoy an exclusive relationship with our suppliers. They're only just in. And not yet calibrated. But I'd be happy to show them to you. The spiky-haired girl squeezed my head again. But Daddy, I want this one. She's just right. But they have the new B3s in, honey. Don't you want just to look at those? The one you know has one. There was a long wait. And the girl released my hand. I let my arm fall and continued to look at the red shelves. So, what's the big deal about these new B3s anyway? The girl said, moving off towards her father. So, what's the big deal about these new B3s anyway? The girl said, moving off towards her father. I hadn't been thinking about Rosa while the girl had been holding my hand, but I now became aware of her standing to my left. Watching me with amazement. I wanted to make her look away, but decided to keep gazing at the red shirts until the girl, her father, and manager were all safely rear store. I could hear the father laughing at something manager had said, then, when I finally glanced their way, manager was opening the staff only door at the very rear of the store. You'll have to excuse me she was saying it's a little untidy in here and the father said we're privileged to be allowed back here right honey they went in the door closed behind them and i couldn't hear their words anymore though so at one point i heard the spiky herd girls laugh the rest of the morning remained busy even while manager was completing their delivery forms with a father for their new B3, more customers came in, so it wasn't until the afternoon, when there was finally a lul, that manager came over to me. I was surprised at you this morning, Clara, she said. You are full people. I'm sorry, manager, what came over you? It was so unlike you. I'm very sorry, manager. I didn't mean to cause embarrassment. I just thought for that particular child, I perhaps wouldn't be the best choice. Manager went on looking at me. Perhaps you are correct, she said in the end. I believe that girl will be happy with the B3 boy. Even so, Clara, I was very surprised. I'm very sorry, manager. I supported you this time. I won't do it again. It's for the customer to choose the AF, never the other way around. I understand, manager. Then I said quietly, thank you, manager, for what you did today. That's all right, Clara. But remember, I shan't do it again. She began to move away, but then turned and came back. It can't be, can it, Clara? Does you believe you've made an arrangement? I thought manager was about to reprimand, to reprimand me the way she'd reprimanded the boy, two boy AFs once for laughing at bigger man from the window, but manager placed a hand on my shoulder and said, in a quieter voice than before, Let me tell you something, Clara. Children make promises all the time. They come to the window. They promise all kinds of things. They promise to come back. They ask you not to let anyone else take you away. It happens all the time. But more often than not, the child never comes back. Or worse, the child comes back and ignores the poor wife who's waited and he statues is it another. It's just the way children are. You've been watching and learning so much, Clara. Well, here is another lesson for you. Do you understand? Yes, manager. Good. So let's have no more of this. She touched my arm, then turned away. The new B3s, three boy AFs, were so soon calibrated and took up their positions. Two went straight into the window with a big new sign, and the other was given the front alcove. a fourth b three of course had already been bought by the spiky-haired girl and shipped without any of us meeting him. Rose and I remained mid store, though we were moved to the red shaft's side once the new b threes arrived after a turn in the window had finished. Rosa had taken to repeating something manager had said to us that type of position in the store was a good one, and that we were as likely to be chosen mid store as in the window or the front arc of. Well in Rosa's case, this turned out to be true. There was nothing about the way the day started to suggest such a huge thing was about to happen. There was nothing different about the taxis or the passers by, or in the way the greet had gone up, or the way the manager had greeted us. Yet, by, by that evening, Rosa had been bored, and she'd vanished behind the staff only door to prepare for shipping. I suppose I'd always thought that before either of us left the store, there would be plenty of time to talk everything over. But it happened very quickly. I barely took it. it. took in anything useful about the boy and his mother who came in and chose her. And as soon as they left, the manager had confirmed she'd been bored. Rosa became so excited, it was impossible for us to have a serious talk. I wanted to go over the many things you'd have to remember in order to be a good AF. To remind her of all the things manager had taught us, and to explain to her everything I'd learned about the outside, but she just kept rushing from one topic to the next. Would the boy's room have a high ceiling? What color car would the family have? Would she get to see the ocean? Would she be asked to pack a picnic into a basket? I tried to remind her about the son's nourishment nourishment, how important that was, and I wondered aloud if her room would be easy for the son to look into, but Rosa wasn't interested. Then before we knew it, it was time for Rosa to go away into the back room, and I saw her smiling over her shoulder at me one last time before she disappeared behind the door. In the days after Rosa left, I remained mid-store. The two B3s in the window had been bought. One day bought and Boyer Rex also found a home around that time. Soon, three more B3s arrived, Boyers again. The manager positioned them almost directly across from me, over on the magazine's table side, alongside the two boys AFs from the older series. The glass display trolley was between me and this group, so I didn't converse with them much. But I had plenty of time to observe them, and I saw how welcoming the other boy AFs were being given the new B-3s all kinds of useful advice. So I suppose they were getting on well. But then I began to notice something odd. During the course of morning, say, the three B-3s would move little by little away from the two older Fs. Sometimes they would take tiny steps to the side or a B3 would become interested in something through the window. Walk over to look. then return to a spot slightly different from the one manager had chosen for, for him. After four days, there could be no more doubt The three new B3s were deliberately moving themselves away from the older a- AFs so that when customers came in, the B threes would look like a separate group on their own. I didn't wish to believe this at first, that AFs, in particular AFs, handpicked by manager, could behave in this way. I felt sorry for the older boy AFs, but then realize they hadn't noticed anything, nor did they notice as I soon did, how the B threes exchanged sly looks and sonners whenever one of the older boy AFs took the trouble to explain something to them. The new B3s, it was said, had all sorts of improvements. But how could they be good AFs for their children if their minds could invent ideas like this? If Rosa had been with me, I'd have discussed what I'd seen with her. But of course, she'd gone by then. One afternoon... When the sun was looking all the way to the back of the store, manager came to where I was and said, Clara, I've decided to give you another turn in the window. You'll be by yourself this time. But I know you won't mind that. You're always so interested in the outside. I was so surprised. I looked at her and said nothing. Take, Clara, manager said. And it was always Rosa." I was concerned about. You're not worried, are you? You mustn't worry. I'll make sure you find a home. I'm not worrying, manager, I said. I almost said something about Josie, but stopped myself in time, remembering our conversation after the spiky haired girl had come to the store. From tomorrow, then, manager said, just six days. I'm giving you a special price too. Remember, Clara, you'll be representing the store again. So do your best. My second time in the window felt different from the first. And not just because Rosa wasn't with me. The street outside was as liable as before. But I found I had to make more effort to be excited by what I saw. Sometimes a taxi would slow... A passer-by would stoop down to talk to the driver, and I would try to guess if they were friends or enemies. At other times, I'd watch the small figures going across the windows of the RPO building, and try to understand what their movements meant. And do you imagine what each person had been doing just before they'd appeared in their rectangle? And what they might do afterwards. The most important thing I observed during my second time was what happened to Baggerman and his dog. It was on the fourth day, on an afternoon so gray some taxis had on their small lights, that I noticed Baggerman wasn't She's his unusual place, greeting passers-by from the blank doorway between the Obio and Foyescapes buildings. I didn't think much about it at first, because bigger men often wandered away, sometimes for long periods. But then, once I looked over to the obsitoid and realized he was there after all, and so was his dog, and that I hadn't seen them because they were lying on the ground. They'd pushed themselves right against the blank doorway to keep out of the way of the passers by, so that from our side we could have mistaken them for the bags the city workers sometimes left behind. But now, I kept looking them through the gaps in the passers-by and saw the beggar man never moved and neither did the dog in his arms. Sometimes a passer boy would notice and pose but then start working again. Eventually, sun was almost behind the RBO building and the beggar man and the dog were exactly as they had been all day. And It was obvious they had died, even though the passers-by didn't know it. I felt sadness then, despite it being a good thing, they'd died together, holding each other and trying to help one another. I wished someone would notice so they could be taken somewhere better and quieter. And I thought about saying something to manager, but when it was time for me to step down from the window for the night, she looked so tired and serious I decided to say nothing. The next morning the girl went up and it was a most splendid day. The sun was pouring his nourishment onto the streets onto the street and into the buildings and when I looked over to the spot where Beggarman and the dog had died, I saw they weren't dead at all. That a special kind of nourishment from the sun had saved them. Beggarman wasn't yet of his fit. But he was smiling. And sitting up, his back against the blank doorway, one leg stretched out, the other bent so he could rest his arm on its knee, and with his free hand he was fumbling the neck of the dog, who had also come back to life and was looking from the side. To side of the people going by, they were both hungrily absorbing the sun's special nourishment and becoming stronger by the minute. I saw that before long, perhaps even by that afternoon, man would be on his feet again, cheerfully exchanging remarks, as always from the blank doorway. Then soon my six days were finished and manager told me I'd been a credit to the store above average numbers, she said, had come in while I'd been in the window and I was happy when I heard this. I thanked her for giving me a second turn and she smiled and said she was sure I wouldn't now have to wait long. Ten days later, I was moved to the rear alcove. Manager, knowing how much I liked to have a view of the outside, I assured me it would only be for a few days. Then I'd be able to return Mr. again. In any case, she said the rear alcove was a very good position, and sure enough, I found I didn't mind it at all. I'd always liked the two F's, who are now sitting on the glass table against the back wall, and I was close enough to them to have extended conversations, coming across to them, providing there were no customers. The rear of however, was beyond the arch, so not only was there no view of the outside, it was hard to see even the front part of the store. If I wished to see customers as they first came in, I had to lean all the way forward, to peer around to soi- the side of the arch, and even then, even if I took a few steps, the view would still be interrupted by the silver bases on the magazines table and the b three standing mid-store. On the other hand, perhaps because we were further from the street or because of the way the siding sloped down the rear of the shore, I could hear sounds more clearly. That was why I knew just from her footsteps, long before she started to speak that Josie had come into the store. Why did they have to have all that perfume? I almost gagged. Soap, Josie, the mother's voice said. Not perfume. Hand cut soap and very fine it was too. Well, that wasn't the store, it was this one, I told you mom. I heard her careful steps moving along the floor, then she said, this is definitely the right store, but she's not here anymore. I took three small steps forward till I could see, between the silver vases on the B3s, the mother staring at something out of my vision, I could see her face only from one side, but I thought she appeared even more tired than that time I'd seen her on the sidewalk looking like one of the high-pitched birds in the wind. I guessed that she was watching Josie and that Josie was looking at the new girl B3 in the front alcove. For a long time, nothing happened. Then the mother said, What do you think, Josie? Josie didn't reply, and I had manager's footsteps move across the floor. I could now feel the special stillness in the store when every AF is listening, wondering if a sale is about to be made. Sun yi is a B3, of course, manager said, one of the most perfect I've yet seen. I could now see manager's shoulder, but I still couldn't see Josie. Then I heard Josie's voice say, you're really fantastic, Sun yi so please don't take this the wrong way. It's just that she trailed off. I heard again her careful steps. Then for the first time I could see her. Josie was casting her gaze all around the store. The mother said, I've heard these new B3s are very good with cognition and recall, but that they can sometimes be less empathetic. Manager made a sound that was a sigh and also a laugh. At the very beginning, perhaps one or two B-3s were known to be a little hand stru- headstrong. But I can absolutely assure you, Sun yi here will present no such issues. Would you mind, the mother said to manager, if I address Sun yi directly? I have some questions I'd like to put to her. But mom, Josie broke in, and now she was again out of my vision. What's the point? is great, I know. But she's not who I want. We can't keep searching forever, Josie. But it was this store. I'm telling you, Mom. She was here. I guess we're too late. That's all. It was unfortunate Josie should have come in and just when I was real sore. Even so, I was sure she would in time come to my part of the store and see me and that was one reason why I remained where I was, not making a sound. But perhaps there was a further reason. For a fear had entered my mind almost at the same moment. I'd felt joy, joy on realizing who had come into the store. A fear to do with what manager had said to me that day. About how children often made promises that didn't return if they did ignore the AF to whom they'd made the promise and choose another. Perhaps that was why I went on waiting there quietly. The manager's voice came again, and there was something new in it. Excuse me. Miss, do you understand? You are looking for a particular AF one you'd seen here before. Yes, ma'am. You had her in your window a while back. She was really cute and really smart. Looks almost French. Short hair, quite dark. And all her clothes were like dark too and she had the kindest eyes and she was so smart. I think I might know you, who you mean, manager said. If you'd follow me, miss, we'll find out. Only then did I move to where they would see me. I'd been out of the sun's patterns all morning, but now I stepped into two bright, interesting rectangles just as manager, and Josie following came up to the arch. When Josie saw me, her face filled with joy, and she quickened her stride. You're still here! She had become even thinner, she kept coming with her uncertain stride, and I thought she was about to embrace me, but she stopped at the last moment and looked up into my face. Oh boy, I really thought you'd gone. Why would I be gone? I said quietly. We made a promise. Yeah, Josie said. Yeah, I guess we did. I guess I was the one who screwed up. I mean, taking so long. As I smiled at her, she called over her shoulder. Mom, this is her, the one I've been looking for. The mother came slowly towards the arch, then stopped. And for a moment, all three were looking at me, Josie at the front, breathing happily. Manager, just behind her, also smiling, but with a caution in her look, which I took as an important signal from her. And then the mother, her eyes never like people on the sidewalk when they're trying to see if a taxi is free or already taken. And when I saw her and the way she was looking at me, the fear, the one that had all but vanished when Josie had cried, you're still here, came back into my mind. I didn't mean to take so long, Josie was saying, but... I got a little sick. I'm fine again, though. Then she called back. Mom, can we buy her right away before someone else comes in and takes her? There was silence. Then the mother said quietly, This one isn't a B3. I take it. Clara is a B2, manager said, from the fourth seri- series, which Samantha has never been surpassed, but not a B3. B3 innovations are truly marvellous, but some customers feel for a certain sort of child a top-range B2 can still be the most happy match. I see. Mom, Clara is the one I want, I don't want my another, Uh, I don't want any other. One moment Josie, then she asked manager. Every artificial friend is unique, right? That's correct, mom. And particularly... That's correct, ma'am. And particularly so at this level. So what makes this one unique? This is Clara. Clara has so many unique qualities. We could be here all morning. But if I had so it's just one, well, it would have to be her appetite for observing and learning. Her ability to absorb and blend everything she sees around her is quite amazing. As a result, she now has the most sophisticated understanding of any AF in this tour. This is not accepted. Is that so? The mother was once again looking at me with narrowed eyes. She then took three more steps towards me. Do you mind if I ask her a few questions? Please go ahead. Mom, please... Excuse me Josie, just stand over there a moment while I talk to Clara. Then it was the mother and me, and though I tried to keep a smile on my face, it was not easy, and I might even have let the fear show. Clara, the mother said, I want you not to look towards Josie. Now tell me without looking what colour are her eyes. The grey man. Good Josie. Uh, I want you to keep absolutely silent. Now, Clara, my daughter's voice. You heard her speak just now. How would you say her voice was pitched? Her conversational voice has a range between A flat above middle C to C octave. Is that so? There was another silence. Then the mother said, last question, Clara. What did you notice about the way my daughter walks? there's perhaps a weakness in her left hip also her right shoulder has potential to give pain so Josie walks in a way that will protect it from sudden motion or unnecessary impact the mother considered this and she said well Clara since you appear to know so much about it will you please reproduce for me Josie's walk will you do that for me right now my daughter's walk behind the mother's shoulder I saw manager's lips part as though about to speak but she said nothing. Instead, meeting my gaze, she gave me the smallest of notes. So I started to walk. I realized that, as well as the mother, and of course Josie, the whole store, was now watching and listening, I stepped beneath the arch, under the sun's buttons spread across the floor. Then I went in the direction of the B3 studying midsole and the glass display trolley. I did all I could to reproduce Josie's walk just as I'd seen it. That first time after she'd got out of the taxi, when Rose and I were in the window, then four days later, when she'd come towards the window after the mother had removed her from her shoulder, and finally, as I had seen her a moment ago, hurrying to me with relieved happiness in her eyes. When I reached the glass display trolley, I started to go around it, taking care not to lose the character of Josie's walk, even as I tried not to brush against the boy B3 standing beside the trolley. But as I was about to start on the return lap. I glanced up and the sight side of the mother, and something in what I saw made me stop. She was still watching me carefully, but it was as if her gaze was now focused straight through me, as if I was the glass in the window, and she was trying to see something a long way behind it. I remained there beside the glass display trolley, one foot poised, halo of the floor and there was a strange stillness in the store. The manager said as you see Clara uh, has extraordinary observational ability I've never known one like her Mom, this time Josie's voice has hushed. Mom please. Very well we'll take her Josie came hurrying to me she put her arms around me and held me when I gazed over the child's ta- head, I saw Manager smiling happily, and the mother, her face drawn and serious, looking down to search in her shoulder bag. <laughs> the next day, uh, when the doorbell rang towards the middle of the morning, Josie seemed to guess who it was, and leaving her bed, hurried out. Into the landing. I followed her, and as Rick stepped past Melania, housekeeper, into the hall, Josie turned to me with an excited smile. But then she made her expression completely blank as she went to the top of the staircase. Hey, Melania, she called down. Do you know who this weird guy is? Hello, Josie, Rick looking up at us. Had on a cautious smile. Had on a cautious smile. I heard this uh, rumor we might be friends again. Josie seated herself on the top step. And though I was behind her, I knew she now had on her kindest smile. Oh, really? That's strange. Wonder who put that out there? Rick's own smile became more confident, just gossip, I suppose. By the way, I really liked that picture, I put it in a frame last night, yeah? One of those frames you make yourself. To be honest, I used one of mom's old ones. There are so many lying around. I took out a picture of a zebra and put yours in there instead. Bread swap. Melania, housekeeper, had walked away into the kitchen, and Rick and Josie went on grinning at each other from either end of the staircase. Then Josie must have given a sign up for they both moved quickly at once. She uh, rising to her feet he reaching for the banister. As they went together into the bedroom, I remembered Melania housekeeper's instruction from before and followed them in. And for a while after that, it was like the old days, with me on the bottom coach facing the rear window, Rick and Josie behind me laughing about silly things. At one point I heard Josie say, Hey Rick, I'm wondering if this is the correct way you would want you hold one of this. And the reflection I saw her holding up a table knife left behind from breakfast. Or is it more like this? How do I know? I thought you might be in English at all. A chemistry professor said you should hold it th- this way. But what does she know? What did I know either? And why do you keep saying I'm English? I've never actually lived there. You know that. It was you yourself, Rick, two, three years ago. You kept insisting now uh, how English you were. I did, ask her with face. Oh, yeah, Went on for months. You are like, pray this, pardon me that. That's why I thought you might know about the knife being a uh, thing. But why would an English person know any more than anyone else? A few minutes later, I heard Rick. Moving around the bedroom, he said, You know, one reason I like this room so much. The place smells of you, Josie. What? I can't believe you said that. I meant in an entirely nice way, Rick. That's so not what you can say to a girl. I wouldn't say it to any girl. I'm just saying it to you. Saying to you. Excuse me, so I'm not a girl anymore? Well, not any girl. What I'm trying to say, what I'm saying, is that I haven't been here for a while and so I've forgotten some things about this room the way it looks, the way it smells. Jesus, that's so offensive, Rick! But there was laughter in her voice. And after a quiet moment, Rick said, At least we're not cross with each other anymore. I'm glad about that. There was further quiet. Then Josie said, Me too. I'm glad too. Then she added. I'm sorry, um I kept saying stuff about your mom and all. She's a good person. And I didn't mean any of that. And I'm sorry about being sick all the time making worry. I saw Rick in the glass, take a step closer to Josie and put an arm around her. Then after a second he put his other arm around her too. Josie let herself be held, though she didn't raise her own arms up in return, the way she did to the mother when they said goodbye. Is so you can smell me better? She asked after a while. Rick didn't reply to this but He said, Clara, are you there? When I turned, they'd pulled apart slightly. were both looking at me. Yes. Maybe you should, you know, give privacy, as you always say. Oh, yes. They watched they came off the bottom coach and went past them. At the door I turned and said I always wanted to give privacy. It's just that there was concern about hanky punky. They both looked puzzled, so I went on. I was instructed to insure against hunky-punky, That's why I always remained in the room. Even during the bubble game. Clara, Josie said, Rick and I are not about to engage in sex, okay? We've got a few things to say to each other, that's all. Yes, of course. Then I'll leave you. With that, I walked out onto the landing, closing the door behind me. Of the days that followed, I often thought about the cuttings machine and how I might be able to find and destroy it. I experimented in my mind with various pretexts on which I could accompany the mother into the city, and once there, be left my own devices for uh, sufficient periods. But none of this seemed at all convincing. Josie, noticing my frequent inattentiveness, would say something like, Clara, you're zoning out again. Maybe you're alone on solar. I even considered it taking them more than into my confidence, but rejected this option not only because of the danger of Angering the son, but also because I left the mother. I I felt the mother would neither understand nor believe in the agreement I'd entered into. But then an opportunity presented itself without any initiative on my part. One evening, an hour after the sun had gone to rest, I was standing in the kitchen beside the refrigerator listening to its comforting sounds. The silent light hadn't been switched on so I was there, and a the semi-light coming from the hallway. The mother had returned late from her office not long before. and I came down to the kitchen to allow her privacy with Josie up in the bedroom. After a time, her footsteps came down the stair- staircase then towards the kitchen, her silhouette appeared in the doorway, making the kitchen even darker. And she said, Clara, I wanted to give you a heads up. After all, this involves you. Yes. Next Thursday, I've taken time off work. I'm going to drive Josie into town and we'll be staying overnight. We were just talking about it. Josie has an appointment. An appointment. As you know, Josie was in the process of getting her portrait done. The times she came by your store, that's why we were in town. There has been a long break on account of her health. But she's stronger now, and so I want her to go in for another city. mister Capaldi's been very patient and kept everything on hold. I see, so will Josie be required to sit still for a long time? Mr. Cabal is good at not tiring her. He's able to take photographs and work from those. Even so, he needs her to come in from time to time. I'm telling you this because I want you to accompany Josie on this trip. I think she'd like you with her. Oh, yes. I'd like that very much. The mother stepped further into the kitchen and now I could see just one age her face illuminated by the hall light. I want you, Clara, to be with her when she goes in to see Mr. Capaldi. In fact, Mr. Capaldi is keen to meet you. He takes a special interest in AFs. You could call it his passion. That okay with you? Of course. I look forward to meeting Mr. Kapazi. He may have a few questions for you to do with his research, because, uh, as I say, he's fascinated by F's. You won't, mind it. you won't mind that? No, of course not. And I believe. A trip into the city would be good for Josie, now she's a little stronger. Good. Oh, and we may well have passengers. In the car, I mean. Our neighbours are needing a ride. Rick and Miss Helen, they have some business of their own in town and she doesn't drive anymore. Don't you worry, there is room enough for us all. You won't have to travel in the trunk. Part 5 Josie began to lose her strength 11 days after her return from the city. At first, this phase seemed no worse than the ones she'd gone through before, but then came new signs, such as strange breathing and her semi waking in the morning, eyes open but empty. If during these spells I spoke to her, she wouldn't respond, and the mother took to coming up to the bedroom all each morning. And if Josie was in her semi waking condition, the mother would stand over the bed, repeating under her breath, Josie, 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 as though these were part of a song she was memorizing. There were better days than Josie sat up in bed and talked, even received tutorials on her oblong, but there were others when she just slept hour after hour. Dr. Ryan began coming every day, his expression no longer smiling. The mother went to her work later and later in the mornings, and she and Dr. Ryan would have long conversations in the open plan the sliding doors closed. It had been agreed during the better days immediately after our city visit that I would assist Rick with his studies, so he came often to the house during this period, but as Josie grew worse, he lost interest in the lessons and took to hovering in the hall, waiting for the mother or Melanie, housekeeper, to call him up to the bedroom. Even if this occurred, he wasn't permitted any more than a few minutes standing just inside the doorway looking at Josie's sleeping figure. Once, when he was watching in this way, Josie opened her eyes and smiled. Hey Rick, sorry, too tired to draw pictures today. That's okay, you just keep resting, you'll be fine. How are your birds, Rick? My birds are fine, Josie, they're coming on fine. That was all they were able to say before Josie's eyes closed again. After that occasion, because Rick seemed so discouraged, I walked with him down the stairs and out the front door. We then stood on the loose stones together, looking at the grey sky. I could see he wanted to talk further, but perhaps aware we could be heard from the bedroom, he remained silent, prodding the stones with the toe of his port shoe. So I asked, Would you perhaps walk with me a little? And he indicated towards the picture frame gate. When we stepped into the first field, I saw that the grass was more yellow than it had been the evening we'd crossed to Mr. McBain's barn. We walked slowly along the first part of the informal trail, the wind intermittently porting the grass to allow glimpses of Frick's house in the distance. We reached a spot where the informal trail widened into a kind of out of a room. And there Rick stopped and turned to uh, to face me, the grass rustling around us. Josie's never been this bad before, he said, looking down at the ground. You kept saying there was reason to hope. You kept saying it like there was a special reason. So you had me hoping too I'm sorry. Perhaps Rick is angry. Uh, The truth is, I've been disappointed too. Even so, I believe there is still reason for hope. Come on, Clara, she's just getting worse. The doctor and Mrs. Arthur, you can see it. They've just about given up hoping. Even so, I believe there is still hope. I believe help might come from a place. The adults haven't yet considered. But we need to do something now quickly. I don't know what you're talking about here, Clara. I guess it's to do with this big deal you can't share with anyone else. To be truthful, ever since we returned from the city, I've been unsure. I was waiting and hesitating, hoping the special help would come regardless. But now I believe the only right cause must be for me to go back and explain if I made a special play, but I shouldn't take any more about this. I shouldn't talk any more about this. I need freak to trust me once more. I need again to go to Mr. McBain's barn, so you want me to carry you again. I must go as soon as possible if Rick isn't able to take me I'll try on my own wow hold on of course I'll help I don't see how this helps Josie but if you say it will then of course I'll help thank you then we must go without delay this evening and like the last time we must gather just as the Sun is going down to his rest Rick must meet me here the same spot at 7.15 this evening. Will you please do that? 100% well. Thank you. There is one thing further. When I reach the barn, I'll of course offer my apologies. It was my error. I underestimated my task. But I must also have something else. Something extra with which to bleed. This is why I must ask Rick now, even though it might be stealing privacy. You must tell me if the love between Rick and Josie is genuine, if it's a true and lasting one. I must know this, because if the answer is yes, I do not have something to bargain with, regardless of what occurred in the city. So please think carefully, Rick, and tell me the truth. Don't need to think. Josie and I grew up together, and we are part of each other, and we've got our plan, so of course our love's genuine forever, and I won't make any difference to us who's been lifted and who hasn't. That's your answer, Claire, and there won't be any other. Thank you. Now I have something very special, so please don't forget me here again, at 7.15, this very place where uh, we're standing. Now I was more accustomed to riding on Rick's back, I often reached out a free hand to help hold the grass. Not only was the grass more yellow than on our previous journey, it was more soft and yielding and even the clouds of evening insects broke kindly against my face as we passed through them. This time, the fields never became petitioned, and once the third picture frame gauge was behind us, I had a clear view ahead of Mr. McBain's bone, the white orange sky above, and the sun already close to the top of the roof's triangle. As we came into the low cut grass, I asked Rick to stop and let me down. Then, as he and I stood watching the sun sink lower and lower, the bone's shadow, as it had the last time, came stretching towards us across the weave pattern grass. Once the sun went behind the bone's structure, I remembered how important it was not to take any more privacy than necessary and asked Rick to leave me. What goes on inside are," he asked, but before I could give any sort of response, he touched my shoulder kindly and said, I'll be waiting, same place as last time. Then he was gone, and I was alone, waiting for the sun to reappear below the roof level and send his last rays to me through the barn. It occurred to me that not only that the son might be angry about my failure in the city, but also that this could well be my final chance to beg for his special help, and I thought about mm, what it might mean for Josie if I failed. Fear entered my mind, but when I remembered his great kindness, I walked without further hesitation towards Mr. McBain's barn. As before, the barn was filled with orange light and it was hard at first to see my surroundings, but I soon discerned the blocks of hay stacked up to my left and I could see the low wall they formed had become even lower. They were the same particles of hay caught within the sun's rays, but instead of drifting gently in the air, they were now moving agitatedly, as if one of the hay blocks had recently crushed down onto the hardwood floor and disintegrated. When I reached up to touch these moving particles, I noticed how my fingers cast shadows stretching all the way back to the bone's entrance. Beyond the hay blocks was the real wall of the bone, and I was placed to see the red shelves from our old store still attached to it, though this evening they'd become crooked, slanting, noticeable towards the rear of the building. The ceramic coffee cups had maintained their orderly line, but there were also signs of confusion. For instance, further on the same tier, I could see an object that was unmistakably a housekeeper's food blender. I remembered how the last time I'd waited for the sun, i sat in a metal foldaway chair and turned towards the other side of the barn, hoping to see again not only the chair but also the front of our store, perhaps even an AF standing proudly within it. What I actually saw was the sun's rays streaming by before me following a near horiz- horizontal trajectory from the rear entrance to the front one. It was almost as if I were watching passive traffic in a busy street, and when I managed to throw my gaze of the further side, I found it had been partitioned into numerous boxes of uneven dimensions. Only after a few seconds did I spot the metal fold-away chair, or rather various parts of it, within several of the boxes, and recalling how much comfort it had brought me the last time I began to move towards it, but no sooner had I stepped into the sun's rays, it occurred to me that if I wished to catch his attention before he moved on, I'd have to act without delay So I began forming words inside my mind, even as I stood there caught in the intense light. You must be so tired, and I am very sorry to disturb you. You remember I came here once before the summer, when you were so kind and gave me a few minutes of your time. I am daring now to return this evening to discuss the same very important matter, these words. Had barely shaped themselves. One memory came into my mind on that day of Josie's interaction meeting and the angry mother striding into the open plan shouting, Daniel's right, you shouldn't be here at all. Almost simultaneously, I noticed in one of the boxes to my right angry cotton writing like that I'd seen from the car on a building in the city. Regardless, I let more half-formed words rushed through my mind. I know you've you've no right to come here like this, and I know the sound must be angry with me. I let him down, failing completely to stop pollution. In fact, I see now how very foolish I was in not considering there would be a second terrible machine to allow pollution to continue without a pause. But the son was watching the yard that day so he will now know how hard I tried and how I made my sacrifice, which I was only too pleased to do, even if now my abilities aren't perhaps what they were. And you must have seen how the father too helped and did his utmost, even though he knew nothing about a son's kind agreement, because he saw my hope and placed his faith in it, I sincerely apologize for underestimating my task. It was my error and no one else's, and though the son is right to be angry with me, I'm asking and accept that Josie herself is completely innocent. Like the father, she never knew about my agreement with the son and still has no idea. Now she's becoming weaker and weaker each day. I've come here this evening like this because I've never forgotten how kind a son can be. If only he would show his great compassion to Josie. So he did that day to Bergamana, his dog. If only he'd send Josie to the special nourishment she so desperately requires. As these words swept through my mind. I thought of the terrible bull on the way up to Morgan's Falls, of its horns and its cold eyes, and of the feeling I'd had at that moment of some great terror having been made to a low creature so filled with anger to stand unconstrained up on the sunny grass. I heard the mother's voice somewhere behind me on the path shout. No, Paul, not now and not in this cotton car. And so the lonely woman sitting by herself in Mr. Vance's dinner, unnoticed even by the dinner manager, pressing her forehead against the window towards the dark street outside. And it occurred to me how very much the woman resembled Rosa. But I realized I couldn't afford to become distracted. That a son was likely to leave at any moment, and so I let more thoughts stream through my mind, no longer shaping them into formal words. I don't mind that I lost precious fluid. I'd willingly have given more, given it all, if it meant you're providing special help to Josie. As you know, since I was last here, I've discovered about the other way to save Josie and if that was all that was left i do my very utmost. but i'm not yet certain that the way it would work however hard i tried and so my deep wish now is that the sun will show his great kindness once more the hand i'd been holding out whilst crossing the sun's rays made contact with something hard i realized i was clutching the frame of the metal hallway chair i felt happiness to have found it again but didn't sit down in case it appeared disrespectful instead i uh, stared at myself behind it holding its back with both hands the sun's rays coming from the back of the bone were too intense to face directly so um, though it might seem rude, I turned my gaze once more to the drifting shapes to my right, perhaps hoping to glimpse Rosa City in the lonely dinner booth. But now the sunspot had fallen across the floor to momentarily, illuminating it and I saw there not an AF but a large oval shaped photograph fixed to the wall. It showed a green field on a sunny day, dotted with sheep and in the foreground I recognized a full spaceship had glimpsed from the mother's car returning from Morgan's force. They seemed even more gentle than i remembered, lowered up as they were in a knit row, their heads lowered to partake of the grass. These crater's had th- Filled me with happiness that I happened to erase the memory of the terrible bull, and I was pleased to see them again. If only in this oval photograph. But something was wrong, although the four sheep were positioned in a line in just the same formation I'd seen from the car. Here they'd become oddly suspended, so they no longer appeared to stand on the surface of the ground. As a result, when they stretched down to it, their moths couldn't reach the grass giving these creatures so happy on the day a mood of sadness. Please don't go away just yet, I said. Please give me one more brief moment. I know I failed to perform the service I promised you in the city and I have no right to ask anything further of you. But I am remembering how delighted you were that day, coffee cup lady and raincoat man. Found each other again. You were so delighted and I couldn't help showing it. So I know just how much it matters to you that people who love one another are brought together even after many years. I know the sun always wishes them well, perhaps even helps them to find each other. Please then consider Josie and Rick. They're still very young. Should Josie pass away now, They'll be parted forever if only you could give her special nourishment, as I saw you do for beggarman, his dog and Josie and Rick could go together into their other lives, just as they wished for in their kind picture. I can myself vouch that their love is strong is strong and lasting, just like that of a coffee cup lady in a raincoat pan. And now notice a few steps in front of the alcove a small triangular object left on the floor i thought for an instant that it was one of the pointed boy slices the dinner manager had been displaying his see-through counter and i recalled mr vance's unkind voice saying if you're not seeking favoritism then why am i sitting here in front of you now and miss helen saying quickly we are asking him to exercise favoritism of course we are Only then did I realize a triangle on the floor wasn't a piece of pie but a corner of Josie's paper bag, the one she let fall from the sofa in the friend's apartment while waiting for the father. In fact, it wasn't triangular at all but had merely appeared that way because only the other corner was protruding out of the shadows. To the left of the front alcove, boxes were drifting and overlapping as if in the evening wind. I saw in several of them the flash of bright colours and noticed they contained, even if only in the background, the bottles displayed i had glimpsed in the source new window. The bottles were illuminated in contrasting colours, and in certain boxes I spotted also parts of the sign that said recessed lighting. I knew then that my time was running out and so continued quickly. I know favoritism is desirable, but if the sun is making exceptions, surely the most deserving are you young people who will love one another all their lives. Perhaps the sun may ask, how can we be sure, what can children know about genuine love, but I've been observing them carefully, and I'm certain it's true, they grew up together, they've each become a part of the other. Rick told me this himself What to say. I know I failed in this city, but please show your kindness once more and give your special help to Josie tomorrow, perhaps the next day. Please look in on her and give her the kind of uh, nourishment you gave Beggar Man. I ask you this, even though it may be favorities. and I failed in my mission.